Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Testing, how we doing, church? Come on, it's good to be here. Uh, man, I don't know about you, but I am really excited about that crumble cookie. And, uh, and I got to say something, I got to be honest, because my wife was, was pretty upset when I told her that we were giving out crumble cookies to the men, because she's like, what did you do for the mothers? And so if you can hold me accountable to this next year for Mother's Day, I promise you we will get some crumble cookies for, for the mothers. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we are going to go to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have been venturing through the book of Hebrews. If you're joining us for the very first time, we have been walking through Hebrews for quite a few uh, weeks, and we're going to continue to walk through this for the summer. The, 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 the book of Hebrews is really simple, not to preach or to study, but just as far as the, the overarching theme. How many know that Jesus is better than anything else? His name is above everything else. There's nothing better than Jesus. And so we look at the, the prophets, we looked at the angels, we looked at Moses. Last week, if you were here, we talked about what Joshua brought, which my dad did a great job of bringing, of bringing this, this, uh, this historical rest that Joshua would bring, this promised rest that God said, I, I promised the Israelites this would be the rest that they would enter in, and many of them didn't get to enter into it. But Jesus um, had to bring a, another type of rest. That's what it said in Hebrews chapter 4. There was another rest because the rest that Joshua brought wasn't good enough. There needed to be a rest that was better, and there would be a rest through salvation. But Jesus is better than Joshua. And now we get to another group in the Bible. By the way, all those weren't, weren't bad. They just weren't God. And so now he approaches another group in the Bible called the priesthood. And the priesthood was those who represented God to the people and the people to God. They would oversee all of the people of the Israelites. They would take care of the, the tabernacle, the temple, and they would have various duties that we'll get into. But what was so unique about the priesthood? What was, there, what was the submission that the people had to have towards this priesthood? And is there this submission that we have to have today? And what does Jesus have to do all about this? So go to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 14, and I'm going to read just a few verses, and then we'll get on to chapter 5. And by the way, this isn't the first time we're hearing about Jesus being the high priest. If you remember, we talked about it in chapter 3. But it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he was without what? Sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is bringing humanity to his deity. He is omnipotent, we know that, but now he's compassionate. And he shows up in your time, somebody say my time, my time of need. I'll never forget when I was 16 years old, I got my driver's license. Anybody remember that time? 16 years old, you get your driver's license. I got in the car and I was like, my mom isn't here. I can listen to whatever I want to listen to. It was like a surreal moment for me. I don't know why that was so surreal. But uh, I, I was driving a 2005 Jeep Wrangler. Thank, thank God for my dad who, who bought it, paid it off, and then he handed it to me. And so I'm just driving this car. I'm ungrateful for it, but I'm driving this car. And, and uh, I'm, I'm headed to uh, the school that I was working at. I was doing a summer camp. I was a counselor. And in, the, in my rearview mirror, I see the blue and red lights. And that would be the first time. Not the only time, but that would be the first time that I would experience the police pulling me over. And the guy gets out. I'll never forget what he said. I was 16 years old. He, he gets out. The officer comes up to my, my window, and I had the, the Jeep with, like, the, the plastic. So I was like, you know, I'm pulling it down. And the officer said to me, he said, son, do you know how long I was chasing you? That's what he said to me. <laughs> I'm not driving like a race car. I'm driving a Jeep. He's like, do you know how long I was chasing you? That wasn't the worst part. 
he pulled me over right in front of the school that I was working at. And the other counselors were at the drop-off. They were looking at me, and they were laughing at me. Uh, that wasn't even the worst part. I had to go home and tell my dad that I got, a, I got a fat ticket. The officer gave me no grace, no mercy. It was my first time, but he gave me a fat ticket. And i never forget, I showed up to them. Dad, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I remember because I've talked about this a lot of times. I walk into the kitchen fearful, and I approach my dad, and I'm like, I got a ticket. And I think he knew because my mom told him. And, and he said, uh, thanks, Mom. And he said, son, he said, this one's on me. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for this. Now, maybe it's because he had plenty of tickets in his younger age, and he knew how extensive they were. Not new. He's talked about that. But he paid for my ticket. He stepped in to my time of need. I didn't have a lot of money. I was 16 years old. He stepped into my time of need. You know, that's what Jesus does with you and I. He steps in in our time of need. We had sin, and that sin, there was a punishment. God and his wrath was going to take out that on his people who sinned, but there was somebody named Jesus who stepped in the middle to become the mediator between God and his people, and he said, I'll take this one from you. I got you. I'll do this. I'll show up in your time of need. This is, this is the title of this morning's message, Jesus, the Great High Priest. Anybody thankful that Jesus is the Great High Priest? Let's talk about it, but let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth that you show up in our time of need. Lord, many are hurting today, and, and Father's Day could be a great holiday to celebrate for many, but it could also be a horrible holiday for some. Many sons and daughters here that don't have their father around, Many dads who don't have their kids around. But I pray today as we talk about who you are and what you represent, that they would know in, through this text, intertwined in all of this, that you are a great God, you are a good God, and you are a father who gets on his knees as his children run back to him. And you take us in and you accept us and you love us and you hug us. Thank you for being such a good father to us. We love you, we worship you, and it's in Jesus' name. Everybody said in one loud voice, amen, amen. amen. He Hebrews chapter 4. Anybody been enjoying this, this study through Hebrews? Has anybody been reading through Hebrews on their own or discovering it or jumping in? It's, just, it's fascinating. It's interesting. Um, you know, when I told my dad last year, I said, Dad, I really want to walk through the book of Hebrews next year. And he said, you really want to walk through the book of Hebrews? And I said, yeah. And so this has been stretching me. This has been, God has been doing a work in me and my, my personal study. And I've, I've just been so thankful. I do want to just take a moment to honor my father-in-law, who's not here, but my father-in-law, David. He is an amazing man and has raised an amazing woman. My, my father-in-law has 11 kids and my wife is like right in the middle of him. So uh, I kind of just, just picked one and I was, you know, I was like, hey, no, I'm just kidding. I, I tell you what, I, I found the best. And, uh, and he raised an amazing daughter. He raised 11 amazing kids, and man, I'm just very grateful for my father-in-law. He's a great grandfather. He works hard. He provides for his family. Like many of you dads do, you work very hard to make sure that food is on the table, that your kids may have cars one day or go to college one day, all while your you know, kids are ungrateful, but you still do it. And I'm very thankful for my father-in-law, David. So I want to paint a picture for some of you who maybe have just showed up and don't really know what's going on, don't, don't know the context. I want to paint give you some clarity that I think will help you as we go over this text of Jesus being the great high priest. The, the Jewish people have left their religion that they were um, belonged to for so long because the Messiah showed up. Jesus shows up and they, they cling to the Messiah now. They're all excited about the Messiah until persecution takes place, until you know, trials show up until hardships show up. And, and now they're, they're scratching their heads wondering if, if they should go right back to what they left rather than stay where they are. And the writer's like, listen, I, I can't have you go back to what you left behind. It's not worth going back to because the, the, the Messiah, the author and the perfecter of this newfound faith that you have stepped into is better and he is more superior than that. Don't fall back into that. You gotta be careful because you might fall back into legalism. You might drift away to liberalism. So you, got, you gotta be careful. But here's the interesting part. What the Jewish people left, it wasn't like it, it, it just all burned down and was gone. It was still there. And that was an important part, but it was still there. 
It wasn't like they stepped into this new thing and their old ways were far. They just had to go down the street to Jerusalem to see the temple, to see the priest ministering. We're going to dive into what this priesthood looked like. But they had to, they, 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 it was right there. It wasn't like, man, I get to, I get to burn the plows like, like we find in the Old Testament. I, it, it's, it's, it's right around the corner. And I think for some of us at times, the things that are right around the corner tend to pull us a little bit back to where we were. If you work at home, anybody work at home? Cool, a few. And you struggle with napping because you get tired and you're trying to balance work life and nap life because naps are great and naps are from God and naps are healthy, especially when you have the three kids running around, ruling the household. When you can get away and nap, it's great. But if you have to work, it's challenging. And if you work in your room next to your bed, then you need to find a new room to work in, right? And so we can't always magically, you know, cause things to disappear that were our former ways. We can't just poof and then they vanish. They're still around, like the temple, like the priests. It was still around for the Jewish people. I know many husbands would love to relocate the Starbucks that's next to your house so your wives don't go there and spend all your money at Starbucks every day. But we can't just relocate things. You can reroute, have them take a different way, but you can't relocate stuff. And that was, that was the case for the Jewish people. It wasn't like the temple was just destroyed and the priesthood was gone. They were still there. But here's the point. There is a maturity that sets in for the believer that says, I can avoid the things that are around me and I will not be conformed to them, but I can, av- I can avoid them because now this is what I've received. This is, this is what I've left. There's a maturity that steps in for the believer where you can learn to live around it but not be enslaved to it. I don't have to be transformed by it. I can live in it. But here's what I have to learn to do. I have to learn to separate. Somebody say separate. Some of you are looking for freedom but haven't discovered the art of separation. You leave it around a little bit. You're trying to step into the new ways but you're still texting the old ways. You're trying to step into this new marriage, but you still got um, the old relationships, you know, on, on your favorites list. And that doesn't work for your spouse, by the way. If you're thinking about getting married, thinking that you can have some side chick sitting around that you could just talk to and be their friend. Because I've built a relationship with them for 20 years. That didn't work for the spouse. But I can live around it, but I'm not in it. Remember Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind, I can live in it but not be transformed by it. I can live around it but not be conformed to it. The kingdom of darkness, church, can I remind you, it's all around us. But I'm no longer enslaved to the kingdom of darkness. I don't serve the kingdom of darkness, but I serve the kingdom of God. Amen? And so I have to learn to separate myself from the things in the past because they could so easily bring me right back and I have to have some renewing taking place in my mind where I've got to take on a discernment that is from God. I have to take on wisdom that is from God. I have to take on convictions that are from God. And I have to stay true to those things. And the Hebrew Christians were trying to stay true to these things. Meanwhile, they're like, but over there, I wasn't persecuted when I was over there. I didn't find trials and hardships like I do now in this faith like I did then over there. And the writer says, be careful that you don't live by what you see because we don't live by sight. We live by what? Faith. So you've got to be careful. Now, I also want to note that the Jewish people didn't just stop becoming Jewish when they followed Christ. It wasn't like they just abandoned all their tradition and their family and their origins. They didn't just, they didn't just leave that. But what they did leave is this, this system, this way of sacrificial duties and a priesthood that says this is how you approach God. Because in Judaism, there's a way to approach God. And now with Jesus, there's a different way to approach God. And now, of course, that's ruffling some feathers. And now it's causing some people to say, I might just go back to the way it was. But there is a different way today. How many agree there's a different way that we approach God? Now, in order to appreciate that way that we, appro- uh, that we approach God today, I want to go back and appreciate the way that they approached God then. Is that okay? And so what I want to do is give you a little history, if that's okay. Because it's Father's Day, and you know you're a father when you've got World War II books at your house and you're watching documentaries. Any, any fathers relate to that? All of a sudden you're like, why am I watching all these documentaries? I'm fascinated by the history I can have an appreciation of where we're going because I have an appreciation of where I've been. 
Now, remember what I said a couple weeks ago. We can remember the past, but we don't what? Repeat the past. So I want to take you back in a, in a moment. I want to get to Hebrews 5 first. But I'm going to take you back to the priesthood in the Old Testament. Go to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to have you circle two words here. Look at verse 1. It says, every high priest is, circle this word, selected from among men, and then circle this word, appointed, to represent them in matters related to God. Now, I want to stop here, because if we really believe that God has instituted everybody and he has placed them in all authority, then we have to understand this priesthood was not selected and appointed by man, but it was selected and appointed by who? By God. So it wasn't that anybody could just become a priest. It wasn't one day somebody woke up and said, you know what, I want to become a priest today, and so I'm going to become a priest. No, there, there was a process, and there was a certain group of people that had to become priests. It's kind of the same thing today as you can't just wake up and say, you know what, I'm just going to become a pastor one day. I mean, I guess you could, right? You could, you could go to school. You could get a degree. You could, you know, put your resume out there, and the church may say, based on your degree, that, hey, we'd like to hire you as a pastor, and you become a pastor. In fact, my friend, my friend was like, hey, my buddy asked me to officiate his wedding, but I'm not a pastor. What do I do? And then he found out that you can go online and you could get the title reverend just by taking a class. And he got the title reverend just to officiate his buddy's wedding. Not really a pastor, but he was able to officiate the wedding. I guess that's a lot in the laws of the land. But here's the problem. I think that we have some of our churches that have pastors who have been self-appointed and not God-appointed. Because there's a difference between a desire and a calling. You know, when I, was, when I was young, I had no desire to be a pastor. My dad was pastoring. I didn't like not like it. I just didn't desire it because I was a kid and I wanted to be in the NBA and I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to be a musician. In fact, when I was like in kindergarten, I wrote on my paper that I wanted to be not a firefighter, but I wanted to be a fire hydrant. <laughs> I don't know. That's just what I wanted to be. But then at 17 years old, God showed up in my life and never forget where I was at. And God began to speak to me and he clearly put on my heart that this is the route that he wanted me to take. And so I began at 17 years old to say, all right, Lord, you want me to surrender to full-time ministry? Here I am. Many of you are called to different things, but this was the call that God had on my life to be a pastor at 17 years old. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what it was going to be. It, it, it kind of the next couple of years started to make a little bit more sense. But I'll tell you what, God was saying, listen, Jacob, I'm going to call you and then I'm going to equip you. Because we have people out here who are called and God equips them and he gifts them. But then we have some who are called or who are not called and therefore they don't have that equipping, they don't have that gifting and how do you expect to fulfill and finish that role? And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, I, I think God might be calling me to be a minister, to be a pastor, man, I just, I, I, I wanna know what to do next. Well, start doing what you're supposed to do. People around you should know, should know, they should see it, but you better be careful to not step into anything that you are not called to because you will take on burdens that are not supposed to be yours. You will walk in places that, that you were never supposed to walk, to walk into. You're not operating in your gifting because God had not called you to do that. He called you to do something else. And so there's a difference. We have to differentiate desire and call. And so for these, for these priests... All throughout the Old Testament, you couldn't just wake up and say, I want to become a priest. You were selected and you were appointed by God. And I want you to notice what they did. Go back to verse 1. Every high priest is selected. It's appointed. Look at verse 2. He is able to deal. This is one of the qualifications. All right, here we go. He was able to deal gently with those who are ignorant. Right there, that should probably drop out some of you in this room who are considering to be a pastor because you just have a struggle dealing with people who are ignorant. Can anybody relate? We just, I mean, that's just, not, that's just not my gifting right there. It says, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant, those who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Look at verse three. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself, but he must be called by who? God. Just as who? Aaron. Well, somebody say Aaron. Aaron. 
And here we get to the next person that the scripture is saying Jesus is better than Aaron. You, you, you were called by God. This wasn't something that you put on yourself. You were to represent the matters related to God. You were to oversee the temple service. You were to act as the spiritual leader to all the people. And let me tell you who, who was one of the first to do it. And his name would be Aaron. You had the prophets, you had the angels, you had Moses, you had Joshua, and now the scripture is saying, and now you got Aaron. Jesus is better than all of them, and he is more superior than all of them. But what was so special about Aaron? What separated Aaron from the rest? Was it that he had the biggest congregation? Was that he was ministering to the most people? Was it that he was doing the most for the community? What was so special about Aaron? Again, to understand the literal context of this passage in Hebrews chapter four and five, we've got to understand the historical context of what is being written here. We've got to have an appreciation for the old if we're going to have appreciation for the new. Does that make sense? So we're going to go back to the book of Hebrews, or sorry, go back to the book of Exodus if you have your Bibles. Exodus. Can I story tell for a little bit? All right, I will. Thank you. Um, it's It's... Man, the Old Testament is extremely interesting. And by the way, I have found that as I learn more and more about the Old Testament and about the Jewish faith that was then and there, that God has given me a greater understanding of who Jesus is. And the more clear I see the Old Testament, the more clear I see Jesus and his proper relation to the Old Testament. Now, if you go back to Genesis and Exodus, you have Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father Abraham. And I am one. I was teaching my son that the other day. No, I was teaching the Macarena. That was kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> same thing, all right? And uh, um, so father, father Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had how many kids? Twelve. How many wives? We won't talk about that. He had 12, 12 kids. And Jacob is on his deathbed. And he wanted to bless his 12 sons. And on his deathbed, as he blesses his 12 sons, he establishes the 12 tw tribes of Israel because Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. So he, he establishes the 12 tribes of Israel. Anybody know all his sons? You had Reuben, you had Simeon, you had Levi, you had that one, you had Judah, you had Joseph, you had Benjamin, they might be out of order, you had uh, Issachar, some other one I forget, Levi. He had 12, 12 kids. And they would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob dies and all his family, about 70 of them, all now go to live with one of their sons named Joseph, who Joseph's living in Egypt, Joseph's second in command. And they all go to Joseph and they, they grow greatly in number. It says they increase, they increase, they increase. There's multitudes of them now. And now the, the, the governing people who, who are Egyptian are like, wait a minute, all these Israelites are getting too big and too dangerous and they might overthrow us if they get bigger than us, so we've got to do something about it, and so they enslave them all. That's why the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years. Now they needed a savior. Who would that savior be? A man by the name of Moses. Moses shows up. He frees them from Egypt, and they now are freed from what they were enslaved to and now become identified by their tribes. The tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Levi. Now, who came from the tribe of Levi? Aaron. So Aaron, Aaron comes from the tribe of Levi. Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron is helping Moses lead the Israelites. Aaron does a lot of things really well, but he also does a couple things poorly. But Aaron comes from the tribe of Levi. Aaron's sons would be considered now the priests, and this is where we get the Levitical priesthood from the tribe of Levi right here in the book of Exodus. Now, it's important to note that the concept of priesthood isn't anything new. We've pointed out before about priests being here. We've even talked about Melchizedek, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. We won't dive into now, but there's already been somewhat of a priesthood. But here's where we get the Levitical priesthood. But where, where does this come from? And we find it in Exodus chapter 28, where it simply starts describing what they were supposed to wear. Here's the garments. Here's, here's how you got to wear them. Here's what they represent. And then here's what, where you're going to work in and serve in. And then they built the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was established. And then Aaron and his sons were consecrated. They were appointed. They were anointed now to become the priesthood. But still raises the question, why Aaron? 
Was it just because he was the second, second in command? Maybe. But why then would it be Aaron and his sons only from the tribe of Levi? What separated the tribe of Levi? Because here's what you have to understand is that if you wanted to be a priest, you had to be in the tribe of Levi. So if you weren't from that clan, then you couldn't be a priest. You couldn't just say, well, God has called me and I'm supposed to be a priest. No, if you weren't from the tribe of Levi, then you couldn't be one. But what was so special about the tribe of Levi? Go to Exodus chapter 32. That's where we'll sit for a second. Exodus chapter 32, and it's the second book of the Bible. If you're wondering where is that. You remember the story of the golden calf? Fascinating story. Moses is on this mountain, and he's talking to God, and he's writing things on tablets. And meanwhile, the people are like, um, where's Moses been? They knew where he went, but they didn't know when he was coming back. And when mom and dad don't come back, kids... You know, it just, things get reckless at the house. You start doing things you shouldn't do. You start watching things you shouldn't watch, right? I know you don't want to agree with me, but that's the case when mom and dad are gone. And so dad, Moses to them was gone. And so they were looking for something to do. And they were really looking for somebody to look to. And so they call on Aaron. They say, Aaron, we, we got to have some type of figure that we can worship because Moses is not here. And he's up there talking to God, and so we need something. And Moses is like, well, give me all your jewelry. And boom, they create this golden calf, and they start worshiping this calf. And Moses is up in this mountain, and he's making his way down with Joshua, believe it or not. And they're, they're, they're hearing something going on down below. And Joshua's like, man, they're celebrating. They're, they're worshiping God. And Moses is like, no, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping something else. And so Moses goes down the mountain and he sees all the people throwing themselves at this idol, this golden calf that they had made. And he was so mad. He takes the golden calf, he melts it down, he grinds it to powder, throws it in the water, and he makes them drink it. Crazy. It'd be like my five-year-old, I find him smoking cigarettes. And I took the cigarettes and I grinded them in the powder and I put them in his juice bottle and I made him drink it. Crazy. Why would you, why would you do that, Moses? But Moses asks them this question, a basic question, an elementary question that they should be able to answer. And he says this in verse 26 of verse 32. Listen to this. He's, he's frustrated. And so he stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, what does he say? Come to me. Who, this is ridiculous. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And guess who came? All of the Levites. All the Levites rallied to Moses, and nobody else did. Why would God call the Levites to be the priesthood? Perhaps it's because of this reason right here. In fact, you go to Numbers 18, there's a selection that takes place, and, no, and it, it kind of makes sense that God would just say to the, to the Levites, you now will become the priesthood because of what you did and how you separated yourself, and you took the side of God. Now, I want to take you to Numbers chapter 18 real quick because this is, this is what's said in Numbers 18, verse, verse 1. It said, the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your families and your father's family are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the sanctuary. And you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses against the priesthood. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and to assist when you and your sons minister before the tent of the testimony. Now, let me just rewind for a second. I wonder if you and I were there in that scene and the pastor stood up or a spiritual man stood up and he said, anybody that's on the side of God, join me. I wonder what you would have done. I wonder where you would have been. And, and, and to be honest, I think we're getting very close to that today, where, the, where, where God is going to stand up and he is going to say, all those people who are for me, join me. And all those who aren't, stay where you're at and do what you gotta do. We gotta be very careful. This is where we gotta have spiritual discernment. There's gonna, be a, there's gonna come a time, church, where we're not gonna be able to differentiate what is real and what is not, what is truth and what is wrong, unless we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And we are operating by the Spirit of God. We've gotta be very careful. Tell somebody next to you, you gotta be very careful. Be extremely wise. So 
the Levites take this, this position. It had to be somebody from the tribe of Levi, and it had to be Aaron. And Aaron became the very first uh, high priest as far as the Levitical priesthood goes. Now, I want to further punctuate this point because God selecting and choosing Aaron is, is very important. And it's going to make sense when we see who he chooses to, uh, to be the high priest in the New Testament, which is Jesus. To appreciate the selection of this, we have to appreciate the selection of Aaron. Because the Hebrew Christians, they had great respect for Aaron. Other than Melchizedek and other than Jesus, Aaron is the most important high priest in the Bible. And this will give us some insight on why. Go to Numbers chapter 16. The, the people have been rebelling against God. We know that that's obvious. We've been preaching about this. And God is very angry and he's upset. And we, we see here that the Levites have been set apart to be the priesthood. But you have somebody else who's also a Levite that's wondering why he is not in charge. I don't think it's, I don't think it's obvious to us, or it's very obvious to us that we have this with our kids, right? When one says that they're better, the other says, no, I'm better, right? When my, my five-year-old says, you know, I'm faster, the three-year-old says, no, I'm faster. And so they're all, they're all vouching for that position. Jesus dealt with it with the disciples, James and John. They were like, we would love to sit by your right side and your left side. They're arguing about who's greatest. And who gets to be on the pedestal with Jesus? Who gets to have the authority? You know, you might deal with that in your company. Somebody's like, man, I just, I'm really wanting that position because I want that power. We see it in our government all the time. But now we see it here in the Old Testament with this priesthood. But you never would have thought that anybody would be, you know, looking to gain that position of power as it comes to this office of pastor. But clearly, this is where it begins here with a grandson of, of Levi. His name would be Korah. And Korah was noticing that Moses and Aaron, you know, were doing all these great things. And he's like, but I'm also a Levite. And so I believe it's unfair for, for me to not have that position of power when really we're kind of all holy because God has called us all holy because he set us all apart. So why am I not in that position? So look at number 16, verse 3. Let me just read this verse. It says, Korah and the others, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron, and they said to them, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Then why do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? In other words, we're all holy, Moses and Aaron. We're all people of God, and he chose us for this role. So what makes you so important? What makes you any different than us? And, and why can't we be the ones running the show? Now, God is clearly angry, but now Moses is angry. But he does something interesting because he doesn't just condemn them. He says, you know what? Let's just leave this up to God. Let's see what God has to say about this, which, by the way, is the best response we can have to anything going on in our world. Hey, what does the Bible have to say about this? I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm not going to give you my experience. I'm not even going to give you my pain. Let me just give you what the Bible says, and let's, let's decide what is truth and what is not. Can we do that? I wish we could do more of that. But he says, let's let God decide, you know, who should be chosen to, to have that authority, because right now it's Aaron, but you think it should be you, Korah. And your other friends, so let's let God decide. So he says, show up in the morning, bring your censers with incense that you burn, and we'll all just burn it, and we'll, we'll let God decide who should be the one. Kind of reminds me of when Elijah was with the prophets of Baal. You remember that scene? And, and Elijah was like, you know what? Maybe your God exists. Just, just, just you know, do your thing. Worship him, scream, shout, sing, you know, do what you got to do. So your God can hear you, and I'll do what I have to do, and let's see which God is real. Moses is like, let's see who God has really chosen and selected and appointed to be in this position of authority, the high priest. And they say, okay, and they show up the next day. And they do their thing. And here's the problem. They thought that they were picking a fight with Aaron and Moses, but they were picking a fight with God. They thought that this was going to be easy. They just gang up on Moses and Ellen. They're only two guys. We've got all of us. We can figure this out. But they did not know that they were ganging up against God. Church, be careful who you pick your battles with. And you do not want to be on the other side of God. You do not want to pick up. 
Let's fight the devil and all his demons, and let's go after him with everything we have. But let's not pick a battle against God. Let's not fight against God because you want to be on the wrong side of eternity. Go ahead and pick a battle and a fight against God. And so the morning they all gather, Korah and his people and Aaron, and the glory of God shows up, and, and, and they're, they're burning their incense through their censers, and they're like, man, we're doing the same thing. Aaron's doing the same thing. And then it's almost as if God showed up and he whispered to Moses and Aaron, and he said, Moses, Aaron, just separate yourself a little bit. Just, just go over there, just, just real quick, watch what I'm going to do. And Moses and Aaron and all their people are like, okay, we'll sit over here. Meanwhile, Korah and all his people are burning incense on their incensors. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the earth opens up. And everybody who was rebelling against God at that point, Korah and his followers and his family and their children and everything they owned got sucked down into the earth. It said they were buried in their graves alive. And then the earth came back and it closed up. And the people were like, oh, my, you know, goodness. Did you just see what happened? Who's left standing? Moses and Aaron. God's like, this is who I chose. The people were like, yes, sir, right? Like, no more. And now you wish that's where it ended, but it didn't end there because the people were so upset. Now they're like, why would God do that? And God became so angry at them. Listen, I want you to, I want you to understand. We're, we're talking about the wrath of God. He became so angry with them complaining after he, they just saw what he just did. It'd be like one of your kids making the same mistake that their other brother just made after you just whipped them. And they're like, I'm going to do the same thing. You're going to get the same exact results. And God was so frustrated that his people, time and time and time again, and, and listen, this is what Christians are doing still to this day. Time and time again, we rebel, we disobey, we see the glory of God, but it's not enough, and we, don't, we want more, and now, now we don't have what we thought we wanted. And the people were like, how could you do this, God? And God was like, I will smite you again. And he sends a plague to kill everybody. And Moses and Aaron were like, oh, no, we can't have this happen, God. We cannot. We cannot have you kill all the people. And so Aaron takes his censer. He starts burning some incense. He gets in the middle of the people. And I want you to know what happens. He stands in the gap. He takes the anger of God. And he stands in the middle between the sin of the people. He becomes the mediator of the anger of God and the sins of the people. And because Aaron steps in to this scene right here in the middle... He stops the anger of God, and the plague that was killing people one by one ceased. There were 14,000 people that died, but everybody else was spared because one man stood in the middle, and he said, I'll take what you're throwing to save the people that are sinning. Now, I don't know about you, but you're looking at me, you're watching me online. Who does this look like? The mediator was Aaron. He became the high priest. Why would God chose Aaron? Might have just been that because he separated himself along with his people. And God said, you, Aaron, will be the one that will be the mediator of my anger and everybody else's sins. Again, Numbers 18, verse 1, it will be on the screen. You and your sons and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses. Connected with the sanctuary, the same thing connected to the priesthood. But notice what it says in verse 5. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. Anybody thankful that God's wrath is not falling on the believers again because of what he's instilled by his son whose name goes by Jesus. You will be in the middle. Now, I want you to, I want you to see this because, you know, we, we, we have ideas about the wrath of God. And some of us think as we read the Old Testament that it's all about the wrath of God. And then you get to the New Testament and it's all about the kindness of Jesus. Clear, clearly, you have not read the Bible because God's wrath is, is everywhere. It, it just wrapped a little bit differently, but it was always wrapped in love. Always wrapped in love. But as you, as you think about as you think about the wrath of God, I want, you to, I want to point out a few things. 
One writer said, the wrath of God was right and necess- it was a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. His wrath against sin and disobedience, church, is perfectly justified because his plan all along was to make you and I holy and perfect. And how is he going to do that? By just letting us do our own thing, discovering our own ways, living our own, our own, you know, our own path. God has got to bring us back. He's got to mold us. He's got to prune us. And that hurts, right? Some of you know that hurts. The trials, the, the, the tribulations you've been through, you have suffered, but you've suffered for Christ. And wasn't it worth it? Wasn't it worth it? And so what we're experiencing in, in, in this passage is, is, is part of the wrath of God and his judgment over the Old Testament, which really is the same in the New Testament. John three thirty six says, whoever believes in the Son and has eternal life, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is in the New Testament, church. His wrath is real. His wrath is still here. You don't want it? Make sure that you're not covered in the blood of Jesus. Aaron steps into this priesthood. He acts as the mediator, the anger of God and the sins of the people. And look at verse 2 of of Hebrews. Let's go back to to our, our reading. He says, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and those who are going astray. Aaron, you're here so that there will be no more outbreaks of anger on the people of Israel and so that my wrath would not go over them and cause a plague to kill them, there is now provision for rebellion, and it's through this priesthood. Aaron would become that high priest. He would act as this function of stepping into the Holy of Holies to represent all of the people and to represent all of their sins. And this would take place on one day, you may have heard, called the Day of Atonement. We know today as Yom Kippur. Let me, let me tell you about the Day of Atonement. Then I'm going to read the rest of Hebrews chapter 5. One day a year, somebody say one day. One day a year the high priest could enter into the holy place. He would make sacrifices for himself and sacrifices for all the people. He would bring it into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, which is the throne of God. And that would make atonement for himself and for all the people. And for the sins that they committed. And for the sins that they committed all year would go here into this one day. And only he could go in there. Only Aaron. Aaron was selected and appointed to be the only one to step into the Holy of Holies. In fact, it's been said that that many who went into that Holy of Holies would be be tied with a rope on their ankle just in case they went in there and they offered some unauthorized sacrifice or they weren't prepared to go into that room and they dropped dead because it had happened in Scripture and then, then they would pull them out because they couldn't go in there and get them. In fact, there's a king by the name of Uzziah who became prideful, and he was like, I want to I walk into that temple and burn some incense. Now, he didn't go into the Holy of Holies, but he did something that only the priesthood could do, and God gave him leprosy because it wasn't for him. You already read that Korah wanted that position and all his followers, and they, and they were killed. So th- this, was, this high priest, this was very significant. This was very important. This was important to God. This position, Aaron, mattered because, again, he represented the people to God and he represented God to the people. And it all happened one day a year. Now today, let me, let me fast forward to where we are today. How many are you thankful that we don't have to wait one day a year to present all of our sins to God? Just could you imagine living with that? Holding those in, carrying those things. Not sure if you, grew up, if you grew up Catholic, you just showed up to the, you know, showed up to a priest and did, did it that way. But here now in our faith, it's like, could you imagine, you know, one day a year, we bring all of this to God. Now, guess what? We don't have to do it one day a year. But I'll tell you this, we do have to do it through a priest. We have to go through a priest. So in a sense, nothing's changed. We do have to go through a priest, but not just the high priest, because Hebrews 5 says the great high priest. It's the same thing, but a different person. And this person doesn't live no longer just in one spot. But come on, he lives in you and he lives in me, if you're a believer here today. And so Hebrews 4, the last two verses, differentiates the great high priest 
from any high priest because one, he calls him great. Two, he says he's gone through the heavens. He's passed through the heavens. Three, he's the son of God. Four, he sympathizes with our weakness. Five, he was tempted every way possible. And six, he did it all without sinning. This would be the great high priest, Jesus. This is who, this is who we're talking about, by the way. God had chosen his one and only son. He had selected and appointed him just like he did with Aaron, just like he did with the priesthood. It wasn't just coincidence. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm going to appoint, I'm going to anoint, and I'm going to select my son who will fulfill this priesthood. No longer would you have to find a temple or a place of worship to offer your sins. No longer would you have to do any of the sacrifices because of Christ. No longer would the temple be the geographic center of worship that had ceased because of Christ. The food laws have been fulfilled because of Christ. Anybody thankful this morning for Jesus Christ? Listen to what it says. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5. This is a little insight of who Jesus is and what he did for you. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was heard because of his, notice what it says, his reverent submission. Some of you want to hear from God, but you have not learned the art of submitting reverently. Verse 8, the son through who he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and he once made perfect Listen to this. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let me read it again. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in order of Melchizedek, which we'll talk about soon. I don't know if you've ever made a will before yet. Probably if you're in your older age, odds are you have a will. And this is what happens when you die. This is where your inheritance goes, right? It's gonna to go to my kids. Well, not that one, but most of them. This is where all my, my business will go. This is where my home will go. This is where everything that I own is going to go. That's in your will. In fact, I got a call one day from, from my brother and his wife, and they said, hey, we would like for you and Cheryl that if anything were to ever happen to us, that you would take our kids. And I said, please don't die but I will take your kids. I will I, we will take your kids. I said, let me pray about it first and let me talk to my wife. But that's who they have. And, and maybe you're here today and you, you're thinking about like my wife and I, we've been trying to do this for some time. We got to put our will together. But let me ask you this. Can you be assured? Is there a 100% guarantee that when you die, that all that you said was going to happen was going to happen? No. You don't know. You can't, you can't see that inheritance given through. You, you're not around. You, you won't know that. But there's a difference between us and God and his son is that Jesus will see it through. The inheritance that he's given to believers, that inheritance of eternal salvation that he has left with you, now he lives to make sure that you will receive it. Do you really believe that? that he died and he rose again and he lives now in you to make sure that what you have received from him, you will have. If you are a believer here today, you have obeyed, you have eternal salvation. Is anybody thankful for eternal salvation in this room? God, I worship you. God, I praise you. I'm so thankful that if I die because I have received you and because you are my great high priest, and you are the mediator between the anger of God and my sin, I now have a chance to step into eternal glory with Jesus Christ. He's the great high priest. How good is God that he wouldn't take out his wrath on his children? He wanted to because we deserved it. But he sent his son to die for you and for me. And he said, I love you. I knew you before you were even in your womb. In fact, I set you apart because you are my children. Scripture says that because of our sin, we have to do what the, old, the people did in the Old Testament. We didn't have to bring sacrifices. We don't have to do that anymore. Thank God we don't have to do that. But we still had to present 
our repentance and say, God, I am sorry for my sin. Now, we don't do it one day a year, nor do we have to go up to a priest and confess your sins and say that, that, you know, that'll solidify this and that'll justify my actions. No, we present them to the great high priest named Jesus. And I wonder if you're here today, you're watching it online and, you know, you, you read about the Old Testament and what they had to do and you say, that's crazy. Well, it was required. And now you're thinking, man, today people have to talk to God and confess their sins. That's crazy. Well, you want to be covered in the blood, then you got to repent. You want to guarantee that if you die today, you would have eternal salvation in heaven with Jesus for the rest of your life, then you've got to repent of your sins because there is a punishment. Now, he, he's not going to open up the earth and, and destroy all your family and everything you own and then bury it and cover it back up. Nor may he send a plague to destroy you or give you um, some type of disease. But there is a punishment and it's real. And it's a place called hell where you will spend eternity with unless you're walking in this eternal rest, which is salvation. Do you know for sure that if God was going to come back today or that if you were going to breathe your last breath, do you know for sure? I want you to take a moment. Would you, would you just close your eyes? I've asked the team to lead us in this song again. And I just want you to know that God is good. And he loves you and he sits here with his arms open wide and he says, if you're far from me, it's only one step back. I'm here, I'm ready to receive you. You don't have to carry this burden any longer. You don't have to walk in this shame any longer. You can be freed of it today. You could be freed of it today. Can we worship him? Would you just pray? Would you think maybe some of you today, God is tugging on your heart and you're saying, Jacob, man, I think I, I, think I need to make a decision today to respond. Would you respond as the team leads? Holy Spirit, we worship you. We praise you. Would you move only how you can move? Hallelujah. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.